They give you a sense of power, right? You know something nobody else knows. I know something you don't know, right? That old childish sing-song taunting. But they, the psychologists actually use the terminology of weight when they talk about secrets. Because secrets bring with them a certain kind of weight. In fact, the way it affects the brain is it, it weighs the brain down. It slows the brain down. Uh, because it's often not the content of the secret that bothers you, but it's how you think about that content of the secret. Right? Uh, let's just say it's the, the secret is about somebody you know uh, that's kind of an arm's length relationship. And the secret exposes a skeleton in their closet, or maybe a would-be skeleton. Maybe there's really no skeleton after all because it's gossip, and uh, yet it exposes, you don't, you're not in a good enough relationship to go up to them and say, hey, is this true? I heard this. Is this really what happened? Did you really say that? Did you really do that? You're, so it's awkward. You can't, you can't go to them and confront it without it being ooh, really awkward and strange and risking the social, you know, trouble. So it weighs you down, right? You think about it often. When you see them, your, your, your confidence in them is affected, right? Because of this secret. And so psychologists have, 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 liked, have rightly deemed a secret to be something that's weighty. It affects you going forward. But then there's good secrets, right? Good secrets are, 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 are weighty as well, because when you know there's a party coming up that you're not supposed to say, you have to be careful when you're talking to the person to whom the party is for. And you have to be careful not to let it slip, not to let the cat out of the bag, right? Not to, and, and some people cannot keep a secret. You cannot, there's some people you cannot tell about the secret until the very last second because you know they're going to do something or say something that's going to, to spill the beans. I love it when... We're, we're planning something for my wife, and I, I, tell, I have to tell my kids strategically. I can tell Jake in anything. His lips are sealed. It's like super glue. You couldn't pry it out of him if you wanted to. Zachary is another, another element altogether, and Renee, just forget it. Like She's going to walk down the stairs and say, Mommy, I'm not supposed to tell you, but guess what we're going to do for you, but don't tell anybody I told you. She's like... You know, like trying to catch sand in a bag with holes. There's just no way. Zachary will let it out by accident. So I have to be careful if, if we're planning something, and, and it really does need to be kept a secret. There's only one child I trust with that knowledge because the other two, are, they're, they're just their ability to hold something under pressure isn't, isn't tested yet. So secrets aren't for everybody, right? <clears throat> and there's certain people you would never tell things about your life. In fact, the scientists that did studies on secrets said there's 38 categories of secrets. 38 categories. And everybody has a secret. Everybody, statistically, in this room, has a secret within these categories. And statistically, 97% of people within their study had secrets within 13 of the 38 categories. Some of them being serious ones, like, you know, this kind of skeleton in your closet type secret that you don't really want anybody to know for various reasons. And others are, you know, just uh, maybe you, you eat too much chocolate or, or something that's less important. But everybody has a secret. 
And we know that secrets aren't for everybody. In fact, Jesus said, God has secrets. And the, the subject of this series we're going to be doing for the next little while is God's secrets. We'll be talking about God's secrets. Jesus was talking to his disciples in parables, and they, they questioned Jesus because parables seem to be a roundabout way to make a point, not direct, uh, which, by the way, is a very Eastern way of speaking. A very uh, Western way of speaking is linear and direct and uh, we like things in timelines, at least most of us do here in the West. We like to, to see something lined up and, and lined out in chronological order, and we just like it to, to make sense and be direct and, and forward. But, but in the East, things are very much cyclical. You go around the point to make the point. And sometimes you cycle around the point multiple times over, to make the point. And, and when you ask a question, you're told a story as opposed to a direct answer. And so Jesus is teaching in parables and his disciples say, why, why do you teach in parables so much? Why is it that you're always telling stories? It doesn't seem like you're ever very direct in your teaching, Jesus. What are you doing? And Jesus said, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. So whether you like that, that fact or not, there's some people that God will not tell his secrets to. Jesus said that it's, it's permitted for the disciples to know the secrets, but it's not permitted for everybody to know God's secrets. And, and, and the, the, the obvious question might come, well, what does God have to hide? What is he, what is he trying to keep from people? Well, in the same way that you don't tell all your secrets to everybody you know, but you keep them to the people that you can be trusted with, even the fun secrets like what you got your wife for Christmas or, or what, you're, what you're planning to do to celebrate her birthday, which you probably should have a secret like that in your repertoire, gentlemen. Uh, you should have some kind of secret. This is pastor telling you. You need to develop. And if you don't keep those kinds of secrets very well, you need to get a book about it and figure it out because your wife, she deserves to have those kinds of secrets kept about her, what you're going to do for her special to make her feel good. But uh, Jesus said, some, some things I just don't share with everybody. There's some secrets God has, he doesn't want everybody to know. Only God knows the content of each person's heart. And you might say, well, why wouldn't God want everybody to know about his kingdom? Why wouldn't God want everybody to know about his, his, the secrets that he has? Are, are his secrets bad ones? And, and I would say, no, his secrets are not bad in a sense. They're all good. They have a, a goodness about them because God is good. And so his secrets are, are good ones. But, but this is what Jesus says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. Jesus says it's not that the, the door is barred or the gate is locked to people. 
There, there, it's not that everybody is excluded or that, that it's kept intentionally from everyone, but, but Jesus said there, there, is, there is an entry level to the kingdom. Essentially what he's saying is if you're able to listen, then you're able to discern the secrets of God, but it's, it's really predicated on the content of your heart. The word is the same across the board, but what is your, the condition of your heart will determine your ability to know the secrets of God. I think about the parable of the sower. Jesus said, this is again, a, a secret revealed in a story. Jesus said, the sower went out to sow and he cast the seed and some sell, fell on hard ground, some fell on stony ground, some fell on weedy ground, and some fell on good ground. And what Jesus never tells his disciples to do is how to amend the soil and make it better. He never says, well, to break up the hard ground, you've got to do this. And to, to, to take care of the stony ground, you've got to do that. And to take care of the weedy ground, you've got to do this. It's like he just leaves it there and says, well, this is just the condition of their heart. And it determines how they can receive the word of God. And so Jesus says here, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. The more you listen, the more you'll understand. And the more you understand, the more God will open up your understanding to understand more. And then he says, but for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. I've, I've had the unfortunate experience of seeing that play out in people's lives. It's not a pretty sight. I've watched friends of mine. I went to camp with them, church camp. Prayed with them at the altar. Snotted and cried all over the carpet at Orland camp together. Today, they are so far from God. It's a wonder we were at the same church service together. What happened, Pastor? What happened to that individual? I, I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know all the circumstances. And I wouldn't say they're gone forever because they're still alive and breathing and there's still hope. Where there's life, there's hope. Where there's breath, there's hope. God can pull anyone back from whatever point they're at if they're willing. But, but I see this scripture play out. Jesus said, for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they had, and they had a little understanding, it was taken away from them. In another parable, Jesus taught that the seed that fell on the hard ground, was the, the word was taken away by the devil. The devil stole the word from their heart. Even what little understanding they had was taken away. So how do I listen to God's secrets? What can I do, pastor? I hear this, and there's a bit of anxiety that rises up in my own heart when I say I want to be careful to listen to the word of God. I want to be careful to understand the word. I don't want what little understanding I have to be taken away from me. I want to understand and understand more and be receptive and open to the word of God. Jesus said, I use parables. I use parables. Why? Because they look, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And in fact, Jesus said this fulfills the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah that said, for the hearts of the people are hardened, they cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. And their ears are closed so they cannot 
hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and heal them. It's the struggle of every religious person to keep your eyes open and your ears open. It was the problem with the Jews facing Jesus. The one that they had been praying for, talking about, wailing at the wailing wall for, and and crying and praying every single day was standing in front of them, and they could not see him. John said it like this, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. His own received him not. He came to the priests, and the priests, many of them, not all, but many could not receive his words because they were entrenched in their religious following. It's possible for you to become such a good Christian that you no longer follow Jesus. It's possible for you to become such a good Christian, such a staunch adherent of doctrine and dogma that you no longer see and you no longer hear. Why? Because you have closed your eyes and you've stopped your ears and you say, there's nothing more for me to understand. I've, I've grown in my understanding. And if, if church fathers said this, then I just accept it. I close my eyes. I close my ears to the word of God. And Jesus said, it's really the old, it's really the opposite. You've got to keep your eyes open and you've got to keep your ears open to the word of God. And when God is the word of God, never get to the place where you think you've learned it all. You understand it all. You have perfect understanding about this, that, or the other things. Uh, but pastor, isn't, isn't there some things that are uh, for sure and, and adhered? Yes, the word of God is, but you've got to always read it with open eyes. You've got to always listen to it with open ears and pray and say, God, never let my heart become hard never let it become stony never let it become so full of weeds and the cares of life that the word cannot penetrate and produce fruit in my life how do i how do i know the secrets of god well i do the opposite of what jesus said here jesus said the hearts of the people are hard so i've got to keep my heart soft how do i keep my heart soft with prayer 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 is not the the way to let God know your spiritual bellhop, your wish list. God isn't your spiritual vending machine. You put enough prayer coins in and he'll spit out the candy bag that you're wanting. Prayer is about humbling your flesh. That's why it's so hard to do. That's why it's hard to... Make a time of prayer in your life that's consistent and regular because it's opposite to your flesh. Everybody else in the world you talk to, you either talk to on the phone because you can hear their voice or you see their little picture on the screen or you text them because you know that little sent and received message that comes under the message. You at least know they've, they've received and they're sending a message back, right? Everybody else you talk to, you do face to face. You have an interaction with them. But when you pray, there's nobody there. 
that you can see with your eyes or hear with your ears. But in your heart, you do it obediently saying, the Lord is open. His ears are open to the prayers. And there is the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. God will never turn a deaf ear. The Bible says he catches all of my tears and he holds them in a bottle. Every time I pray and I cry, God catches those tears. And the Bible tells us that at the end of all things in the book of Revelation, the stored up prayers of the saints get poured back into the earth, not as an answer to prayer, but in judgment, because the people would not receive the answer to the prayer. When you, let me tell you something, when you pray a prayer for somebody, and that prayer goes unanswered, and you think, well, does God really answer prayer? No, God answered prayer, but they were not willing to receive the answer that was sent. And the Bible makes, I believe, what happens is that prayer returns to heaven unanswered. You ever get a mail, you send mail to somebody, and it comes back to you, return to sender? Sometimes prayers go that way. You pray a prayer, and it returns to sender. And the Bible tells us, you, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it sometime when I, when I get through studying the book of Revelation. I promise it's coming. I, I've been saying that for a while. But there is a point I've, I've discovered. There's a collection of prayers in heaven that have been kept there for centuries, returned to sender. And when God is ready to judge the earth, he's going to pour those prayers out, but they're not going to come out in answered form. They're going to come out in judgment form. Because to those who received the prayer, they rejected the prayer. They rejected what God was doing, and it was sent back, and it will return in judgment. Your prayers will be answered. Your prayers will be answered, and you keep on praying. It softens the heart. It, it makes the heart tender. It makes the cry in the presence of God. But, but pastor, I'm not a crier. That's fine. But you can't say that you've never cried in your life. And maybe you need to ask God to teach you how to be broken and to cry. Because crying softens the heart. It softens. It's a release. There's a physical release. There's chemicals that are released into your body that give you the ability to cope when you cry. In fact, the scientists tell us that it's a natural painkiller. Crying actually re releases painkillers within the body to, to deaden the pain and to heal because crying softens the heart. Cry before the Lord. You don't have to bawl dramatically. You don't have to you fall out like some people do. But if you can find the grace to cry before your heavenly Father, it will soften your heart. These, they, they've hardened their heart. Their ears cannot hear. Why can't they hear? Because of defensiveness. I remember teaching a Bible study to a young man in high school. And we got to the part about baptism. And he, he saw a baptism. He was Christian Reformed. And he saw a baptism in Jesus' name. He saw it in the Word. It, it was like the light bulb came in on his eyes. And as soon as the light came on, I could see him reach over and flick the light switch off. And he said to me, he said, I can't receive this. I see it, but I can't receive it because I don't know what that means for my grandma. And I empathized with him. I said, I understand, but we're not talking about your grandma. We're talking about you. And what you just saw in the Word, he had the revelation. There's, there's something that happens to someone when they have a revelation of what God's saying. Something changes in your face 
when you receive, there's an, a light bulb, an aha moment. And he had the aha moment, and then he flicked the light off because he said, I, I, I don't know what this means for so-and-so, and, and this person and that person. And, and he, he stopped his ears because he couldn't make peace with it. Make peace with the Word of God. Forget about how it's going to affect Sally Sue and, and, and Rob and Joe and everybody in your family tree. For God is revealing something to you. Receive it for yourself. Let God sort out your family tree. Let God sort out your grandma and your grandpa who were great people and maybe died without ever receiving the understanding of the word of God. Let God sort that out. That's in his hand. But what about you? What has God shown you? What is good? Don't stop up your ears because of some thing. They close their eyes. Look intently to see and gain more understanding. Soften your heart to God. Open your ears and listen. Open your eyes and take a look. So let's look at one of the secrets God gave in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, Jesus teaches a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the greatest among the herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches. And, and another parable he spoke in and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And these things Jesus spake unto the multitudes in parables. And without a parable he spake not unto them. This couple of parables illustrates an interesting secret about God's kingdom. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Anybody ever buy mustard seed before? They're very small, very, very tiny. And Jesus said, this, this seed is small and inconspicuous. It's easy to lose. It's round. So if you drop it, it'll bounce. And it's not perfectly round, so it won't bounce in a predictable pattern. It will bounce all over your kitchen, and you'll lose it. And it'll be food for the mice, if you have any. Mustard seeds, very small. He said it was the least of all seeds, but, but it wasn't like the rest of the seeds because its size of origin was not a predictor of its size of destination. It's the perfect description of the kingdom of God. Right? Small and inconspicuous. Hard to see, and sometimes maybe hard to get a hold of, easy to misplace. But when it is planted in the right soil, it becomes a great herb. Such a great herb that it eventually becomes like a tree. This makes sense, right? Because Jesus taught things that were hard to hold on to, like love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's... Uh, can we just be honest? It's easy to let go of that little mustard seed in the moment. When that enemy is in your face and they're, they're, they're in your life, it's hard to love them. It's easy to let go of that little mustard seed and pick up the walnut and throw it at them, right? It's so much easier to pick up that other seed of hatred and bitterness and they've offended you and they did wrong by you and they should have done right. They should have stood with you. They should have been with you. But they, Jesus said, love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus broke all traditions of the rabbi in his day. You know, when Jesus started his kingdom and he started to, to gather his students, Jesus read the opposite book of how rabbis start their schools. In, in Jesus' day, if you wanted to become a rabbi, you had to first become very popular and very famous, uh, so famous that people would come to you and ask you to be their rabbi. But instead, Jesus went out and sought his disciples. And he went up to his disciples and said, come and follow me. And who did Jesus go to? Jesus went to the fishermen. The fishermen weren't interested in studying the Torah. They, weren't, they, they did their, their duty, you know, in Jewish school growing up. But they, they weren't scholars. They weren't studying the word in and out. They were fishing for a living. Jesus called tax collectors, the, the base of society, the betrayers of the Jewish people. Jesus went out and touched the lepers. He did everything opposite. You weren't allowed to be within seven feet of a leper. And Jesus went up and touched them. Jesus took the children and bounced them on his knee and said, if you're going to harm one of these little ones, it would be better for you to have a giant stone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Say that today, it's not very politically correct. But Jesus made it plain. If you cause a child to sin, it would be better for you to not have been born. I'll just leave that there and you can fill in the rest. Sometimes I want to send that to certain people in this. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to stop. But that's what Jesus said. That's what he said. That's opposite to how the world thinks. Jesus treated his betrayers like closest friends. Jesus knew Judas was a thief. And who did he put in charge in the money purse? Judas. Judas knew Judas was the one that Satan was going to use to betray him. And who did Jesus put beside him at the Last Supper in the seat of honor? Judas. Jesus, even knowing Judas's betrayal when Judas kissed him on the cheek, Jesus called him friend. He did everything backwards. So easy to lose the mustard seed of the kingdom. Because the church is not like the world and never will be like the world. And we've got to accept that fact. The church will never be like the world. And anything the church does is going to be different and opposite and opposing and counter-cultural to the world. But Jesus said what starts out small and inconspicuous and backwards and looks like it's about to be mistreated and misplaced actually becomes the greatest support in the whole world. See, Jesus wasn't referring to the black mustard or the yellow mustard or the white mustard that grows in abundance here in Canada, like these pictures here. You may have seen fields like this in Ontario, right? At the end of the summer, the mustard fields, they harvest these beautiful mustard plants. And show the next picture, if you will. The mustard, this is what the mustard plant looks like in Ontario. It grows in abundance here. It's a great, we are a great exporter of mustard here in Canada. But this is not the plant Jesus was talking about. As you notice, this is not exactly a tree. The mustard plant grows about hip high. That's about it. Doesn't get much bigger than that. In Jesus' culture, the mustard was actually a tree. The seed was the same size, by the way. 
but the, the, and, and it produces the same kind of fruit as it does here, except it just grows into a tree in, in Israel. In fact, the Salvadora persicia uh, is a small tree or shrub with a crooked trunk, usually typically six to seven meters in height. That's 20 to 23 feet. Its bark is, is, is scabby and cracked with whitish pendulous extremities. The root of the bark of the tree is similar colored to sand, and the inner surfaces are even lighter shade of brown. It has a pleasant fragrance of cress or mustard, as well as a, a warm, pungent taste. It, it actually produces a berry, and you can't really see it here, but this is a cluster of berries, mustard berries that you can eat. They're not sweet. They're like a tangy mustard, uh, spicy flavor, and the flowers are fragrant, and they're very pungent, and the berries are small and noticeable, and you can eat them fresh or dried. You can crush the seeds and grind it into like a mustard powder to use much in the same way that we do. But the seeds are very powerful in that they produce an oil that is cleansing. In fact, when you crush the seeds and you extract the oil, you can use the oil as a detergent to wash the stains out of your clothing. The tree is also great for shade. If you go to the next picture, it's famous because it's much like a great umbrella. And many animals come in under the tree's branches to find refuge from the hot sun. The tree grows really well in dry, arid and tough conditions where many other plants cannot survive due to lack of water, the mustard tree is able to somehow extract its water source from deep in the ground. Its roots go very deep and finds underground sources of water, and so it can survive in harsh climates and provides refuge for many birds and animals under its branches. Are you beginning to see the correlation to the church? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a little seed that is inconspicuous, but when it is planted, it can grow and thrive in harsh conditions. Listen, Canada is not exactly a harsh condition for the church. It's not. We are able to have a, a, a stellar facility for the size of church we are. And we, can, we have the opportunity to grow and expand. And things are getting tighter, yes. But it's not illegal to worship Jesus in Canada, nor is it illegal to, to preach the gospel on the street and, and evangelize and tell others about Jesus. It's not illegal to read the Word of God. We are living in rather a paradise situation as far as the kingdom is concerned. And so many in the West are fearful of the coming persecution that, that will no, no doubt reach us here in Canada at some point where, where it will become either illegal or hard to worship Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, the kingdom of heaven is like a tree that can survive in the harshest of environments. And the church has only ever thrived when it was under its greatest sense of persecution. The church is a great asset. This tree is also known as the toothbrush tree. Because in India and in many countries where this tree grows, before toothpaste and toothbrushes were a thing, you would take the branch off of this, peel the rough bark off the branch, and the soft, fleshy white stuff was great to clean your teeth. It provided an antimicrobial and an antibacterial covering over your teeth that prevented cavities and even dealt with plaque on some occasions. 
So when we look at this, what Jesus is saying, Jesus is talking about the church. What's the secret that God has? The secret is that the church may seem inconspicuous. It may seem small and and minor. It it may seem like it, it doesn't amount to much, but when it is planted, it can grow in the harshest of environments. When God's kingdom comes into your life, it can endure the toughest circumstances. Why should you hold on to God? Because God is actually the one that is holding on to you. Why should you hold on when everything else wants you to let go? Because God's kingdom can grow in the toughest of circumstances, in the most dire of problems, and the most difficult of circumstances. The kingdom of God can survive even the hardest and most toughest situations. And there's incremental changes that take place. The kingdom of God is never meant to stay as small as a seed. This is the other truth, the other secret about God's kingdom. It's destined to grow and become bigger. The kingdom of God, the church, is not meant to be small forever. But there comes a process where the small begins to grow and get a little bigger and put down deeper roots. And yes, it suffers harsh treatment and harsh climate, but it's destined to grow and get larger and get bigger. See, we understand how the church operates, the kingdom of God, in a reference to the the work of the church in Jesus Christ. In other words, the church starts small and inconspicuous, but grows and increases in its impact in the community and the world around it. Notice, whatever the church is producing is never consumed by the church. Everything that the church produces is always for the community that it's surrounding. The church is supposed to be an umbrella of protection over a community. The church is supposed to be in the middle of a, of a public school system and provide spiritual covering over that school system, not because of the school system, but for the school system, because there's kids in that school that need covering. There's people in that area that need the covering of your prayers. The church is also impactful because it's so small and inconspicuous, it's almost invisible. And so the work of the church is often done in the invisible sectors of the community. The church isn't meant to be the, the, the sign-holding, street-walking, uh, uh, boycotting kind of institution that sometimes it's painted to be, but the church is supposed to be powerful under the ground in prayer. The church is supposed to be doing that fighting that the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we're fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world. See, the church understands that there's an unseen world behind the seen world. There's an unseen government behind the seen government. And while we don't go out to attack the seen government in prayer, we are viciously attacking the unseen government and the unseen powers of the world to pray coverings over our city and the expansion of the kingdom of God by binding Satan and his adversaries and his, uh, and his allies to hinder and stop the governments, just the government of Jesus' kingdom. How the church impacts the world is often in the invisible ways, but eventually it becomes visible. Eventually it becomes evident what the church is doing. Abraham negotiated for the souls of of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you listen to this? One man, through prayer, had power to change the eternal destiny of one city. 
What did Abraham say? God, if you find 50 righteous, will you spare it? God said, yes. Okay, 40, yes. 30, yes. 20, yes. Okay, God, 10. And I don't know why he stopped at 10, but he stopped at 10. And God says, for 10 righteous in the city, I will spare the judgment of that city. Scholars believe that the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the combined population was no more than 10,000 people. That means for one, so, so for 0.10% of the population being righteous, God would have spared the city. If I translate that to Ajax, our prayer, God, if you'd find 120 righteous within Ajax, Ajax is 120,000, 0.10% of the city is 120. If you find 120 righteous in the city, will you spare the judgment of the city? Will you give them space to repent? Will you give them space to turn around? Will you give them a space to re relent their wickedness and turn to you? The church has power to pray. You have power to pray. All God needs is 0.10% of your day of your life, of your investment to pray and to seek God for a turn in the city. God's secrets is that the kingdom is small. It's sometimes inconspicuous, but it is powerful and it is useful. The fruit the church produces has the ability to cleanse and to wash. In a way, the, the word that the church continually produces, and, and by that I mean when the church gets out there and begins to preach and teach and tell people the way for your sins to be washed away is baptism in Jesus' name. The way to your sins is repent. The way to deal with, with that, that, that problem in your life is to receive the gift of the Spirit and allow God to empower you. That has a cleansing effect on a community. The church is powerful. Jesus told the secret, and I'm going to close with this, Sister Bryson, if you come to pray, play, that the, the kingdom of heaven is also like leaven that a woman puts into three measures of, of flour and produces a loaf of bread. The church spreads, and the church can infect its community. So the question is, what kind of seeds are you planting? Are you part of that kingdom? Are you putting down deep roots? And are you invested in the unseen realm of prayer? We have a, a table set up at the back. Teams you can be part of. We've been talking about this for the last two weeks. There's a prayer team there. And there's lots of names on it, but not everybody's. How, how, how many of us are going to be invested in the unseen realm of prayer for a city? How are you going to be involved in some aspect of the church? You don't have to be on every team, but are you part of something that's affecting change in the city? Are you part of the change? Are you part of the seed that's being planted? Are you part of the, of the leaven in the bread that's going to change the shape of this city? God wants us to be invested. God wants us to be involved. We stand this morning... I wonder if you'd find a place of prayer today. There's been a lot said here this morning. Maybe you could find your way to the altar here this morning or pray in your seat, whatever is fitting for you this morning. But 
Can we find a place of prayer? Is there some softening of your heart that God wants to do? Is there some repenting that you need to do and make your life right with God? Is there some some dedication to God that He wants you to do? Is there a seed that He wants you to plant? Where, Where has God been speaking to you this morning? Would you find a place of prayer here for the next few minutes as we sing and we play and pray? Would you find that place of prayer and talk to God about what you've heard this morning?